This, this, this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Warning, the following broadcast contains adult language, adult content, frank safety discussions, and stories that might sound unbelievable. But believe me, every one of those stories is true. We didn't start the safety war, but we are going to fight to win it. For our families, for our communities, for our workplaces, and for our lives. This is an interview I did earlier this year with Dan Krauss, who was at the time chairman of the New Jersey Libertarian Party. His insights on all this health and safety stuff pretty are pretty interesting. I held off on publishing this interview for a whole host of reasons. One of them being we were timing is very important. I think beginning of this year, nobody's paying attention to politics as much. Now it's October, people are paying attention to politics. And we really don't go into politics on our show per se. I think everybody knows my opinion, knows about my past life uh, in politics and everything else. But we just wanted to go and uh, let everybody know that there are other points of view out there. And my opinion is just one man's opinion, not the station, not anybody else's, is that we run our lives as libertarians. Enjoy our interview with Dan Krauss, a man who I am privileged to call a friend. Hello, welcome to Safety Wars. Today we have a special guest here. One of my, and a complete disclosure here. Uh, Dan Krauss has been a friend of mine for going on 15, years, uh, 15 years, something like yeah. that, closer to 20. We were both uh, in grad school when we met, for goodness sake. Yeah. Uh, Dan is the state chair for the Libertarian Party in New Jersey. He's been a delegate for the Libertarian Party uh, at the National Convention several times. Uh, he's been an activist in Libertarian Party politics. And you're going to say, well, what's he doing here on a safety show? And we've always heard the democratic view on OSHA compliance and environmental compliance, which is a, uh, a compliance enforcement, right? Generally mm -hmm. speaking, mm -hmm. compliance enforcement. When the Republicans get elected, it's always seems to be compliance assistance, not so much on the enforcement end. And there, that goes back and forth between administrations. Now we're getting into the libertarian philosophy here. Uh, right now on the state and local level, this past November, uh, that's November 2021 and November 2020, uh, there's been a huge surge in libertarian candidates uh, nationwide, mostly concentrated in the middle Atlantic states with over 300 candidates were elected uh, on some level. To whatever there, you know, Dan and I were talking before the podcast, before this recording. Well, there's some challenges in and out there with different things. Uh, whatever. No, we're not here to talk politics. But what we're talking about is, as I see it, a lot of the pushback we're getting uh, from a lot of the people I have to deal with, uh, mostly construction or environmental cleanup type employers, employees, is. I'm hearing the tinge of libertarianism and everything from every every direction here. And I'm not a libertarian. I'm approaching this as a uh, independent here, more or less. And in the future, we're going to seek out more people like Dan on the other side to try to balance this thing out. But Dan. Hi, how you doing? Enough of an intro. You're like, shut up, Jim. <laughs> 
No, I remember the speeches I, you used to give, rambling on and on and just, on and on. I, I personally just want to give a, a big uh, shout of congratulations to the LP of Pennsylvania, Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania, because they are the lion's share of the local candidates that got elected, something like 182 got elected this past fall in Pennsylvania. And we actually, nationwide, we have, we used to have a few we, uh, uh, sitting, but we now have one elected as libertarian. We had a few converts, but elected as libertarian assembly person out in Wyoming. Right. So we actually have people being elected under the libertarian banner to act and to take a part in the creation and elimination of laws as, they, as the people need. Um, so it, Jim, is you're very right. There's something shifting in the political win, wings of America. It's interesting to watch, to say the least. Um, but I know this is safety wars, and we're talking about policy. We're talking about how this interacts with uh, how work interacts. in our lives. So uh, I'll, I'll state the one that I hear, right? The libertarian view I think everybody hears. But when you start to delve a little bit deeper, mm -hmm. it's, it's really not that far off i found from what we have to deal with in the industry in the safety industry so uh so we understand enough people say the democrats one party okay they're into regulation and they want to regulate more and more of our lives not necessarily true no it's cherry picked on what areas they're, they're going to regulate then we hear about on the republican end let me turn off this phone that oh they want to go and they want to deregulate deregulate and to a certain point, there has some, been some deregulation on certain things with the last uh, administration. And now things have gone back where they're reinstituting certain regulations like record keeping. Uh, Beryllium standard, I believe, is another one. Mm -hmm. And there's an emphasis on enforcement. So when you, the libertarian, as I understand it, is their whole thing is, is that private industry should be regulating private industry, self-regulating, uh, essentially the uh, industry, uh, it's in their financial, moral hazard, all, someone would call it also, interest. Yeah, you can throw all those buzzwords out there if, if we yeah. want. And, and to have a safe great workplace. sense, but. but and that's great, but you know, companies, not all the time. You know, if companies regulated themselves perfectly, I'd be out of a career. So, <laughs> well, the, that's, that's the thing that's that a lot of people it. will mistake. It's right. We, we, so we're talking about the word regulation comes up. And when people hear the word regulation and policy, they think law. They think uh, a bureaucratic structure. They think some administrative process. They think an inspector coming in, looking around, making a decision, putting down a fine, putting down a fee, right. telling them to stop something, telling them to do something, whatever. But regulation really, you really need to shift your mind to the word itself, regulate. And in Spanish, uh, a good, uh, it's, you know, the word for, for, uh, for law is regular. It's, it is in English, the word regulate and regular are, is this sense of just sort of moderation, the thing that is the normal, the thing that is the thing that you live in. When we're thinking about libertarian policy or libertarian bented policy, let's look in contrast to the Democrat or the Republican. The, the Democrats are characterized, as you said, as someone that's going to uh, a group of people that's going to come in and, and overregulate, but more regulation, whether it's earned or not. And the Republicans are going to come in and deregulate and whatever. And both of them are lying. <laughs> okay. The Democrats will always talk about putting more safety standards in place. But in reality, they find 
they put in laws that are very, very close to the laws that the Republicans are putting in place. Any, act any actual re additional regulations or laws that are put in place or deregulation or, de or removal laws that are put in place, they're all focused on how the government interacts with the company. And right. they use the and they 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 hand up they hold up the 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 uh, the figure of the individual and we're protecting the the worker or we're protecting the amorphous concept that is the public. So they use these two terms, the worker and the public, to justify what things they put in place for the protection of the public, and by extension the the uh, the economy or the environment or the protection of the worker. So what you should be hearing there, if you're listening really closely, is that the people that are being protected, the public and the worker, are not the people that are being interacted with by these laws and regulations. It's the corporations that are being interacted with. The corporations, which are an amorphous social construct that's right. a legal person and that's got its own problems. And I have my own severe opinions about whether or not we should have legal personhood for corporations, but that's not an entirely different podcast. These corporations, these legal persons are the people that actually have the entire say in the safety of the physical people that are working in the plants and the physical people that are living in the communities and the physical people that are receiving the products and, receive, and receiving the benefits and hazards of, of what's being made in an industry. So you have the amorphous... Uh, blob that is government right. which is a legal fiction of people coming together as an, into a single entity to take action and have monopoly of force you got that interacting with the legal fiction of corporate personhood and you have these two legal fictions interacting with each other you don't have the physical people the natural humans having skin in the game here they're receiving, or they're on the receiving end of everything that happens, but they're not the ones that are actually being interacted with in this discussion. So just to make sure I understand on this, the interaction is between the government and the companies. companies. All right, and it's incidental at best that it's the government going and interacting with the people. So at least example, in, the, in the aggregate in the general yeah right in the general so for example uh osha right uh, so under the federal occupational safety and health act mm -hmm. uh, they have the, what's called the general duty clause so the general duty clause states that you're an employer this is not a direct quote but an employer has to uh have a safe and wealth safe and healthful workforce right free of recognized hazards right real simple all right and if there's not an OSHA uh, standard for a hazard, right? OSHA covers thousands of different things. Mm -hmm. Then they try to go through what's called a general duty clause violation. And they have four different criteria that they have to meet to prove a general duty clause citation. Citation is yeah. not a good thing, right? And then everybody ignores further down on the page where the employee is required to comply with all workplace rules that are promulgated under this law, meaning all regulations, all everything else. So there's an enforcement mechanism and it frustrates a lot of employers. There's an enforcement mechanism against the employer where you have your whole, uh, what are called this uh, 
uh, Code of Federal Regulations uh, 29, which is mm -hmm. Department of Labor, Code of Federal Regulations, and you have all different regulations in there. However, there's no mechanism in place to enforce it against the employee, even though at least on paper or in legal theory, they have the authority from Congress to promulgate regulations on that. And right there, that's another thing that we need to be aware of and need to be very careful of. There's a this is this is a concept that's taught in law school, and it's generally not taught to the general public, but it is taught to the lawyers in America that the the endpoint of any law that is passed is effectively putting someone in jail. So if you are a person that is in violation of some law, oh, it's a fine. Okay, what happens if you don't pay the fine? Okay, you get arrested. What happens if you resist arrest? Well, we see what happens when you resist arrest. So this could be a very simple, oh, here's a $50 fine that you don't want to pay. And it escalates because of some bizarre happenstance. And this is a ad absurdum thing. This is taking things to the absurd extreme. Well, there were a couple of, ex of, of those absurd extremes over the years. There uh, one have was been recently, situations. Or one like was George recently Floyd would be an absurd extreme. This is a guy that was suspected of doing something, I, right. I think they suspected of him of, I don't remember what they suspected of him, but be, during the enforcement of whatever they suspected him of doing, the man was ended up being killed in the street. And the same thing happened to so many other people, just suspicion right. winds up with, well, we need to enforce whatever we law we suspect you of violating, ends up with a, with a physical confrontation and ends up with somebody dead. Any law that you put in place, any regulation you put in place, has the implied use of force behind it. Right, so how OSHA law, you're talking criminality here. I'm talking Wait criminality, and I know OSHA law is different, but- uh, Yes and but no. If, if, right, if a company does not abide by OSHA, an OSHA regulation, what happens? They get a fine. If they don't pay the fine, they get shut down for a period well, of time. Well, and it depends on the severity. So for example, if you're, so I'm, I'm an OSHA outreach trainer. We had this conversation before. Mm -hmm. uh, in a prior career, you needed some OSHA outreach uh, training yeah. and uh, you're asking questions on it. And basically, let's say that I were to falsify an OSHA outreach card. At that point, it's not in that you're in violation of the OSHA per se, but you're in violation of uh, uh, falsifying a government document which, which is, is five up to five years in federal prison. Yeah. Right. Right now we're seeing with the COVID cards. Oh yeah. And yeah, people way, are trying to use as de facto identity cards yeah. somehow. As a, a de facto work authorization card at this point. So uh, on our network, specifically me and Jay Allen, on the rated R safety show, we, uh, one of my first episodes on this, and I was on uh, the Rated R Safety Show, which by the way, you can every once in a while hear an F-bomb on that show. Uh, they, I'm doing uh, my best tonight. I'm trying. <laughs> not tonight. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we broke the story on falsified uh, uh, COVID-19 cards being downloadable from the uh, uh, Tennessee uh, Department of Health website. Yeah. All downloadable in PDF. And uh, it took the mainstream media about a month and a half to two months to report on that. And it's not so exactly now these have things are idea. difficult to yeah. to create. They're literally they're, they're one of the, some of the simplest documents out there. People uh, literally some nurses environments. Some nurses in our neighborhood, you no, know, in the metro New York City area, were just arrested like three weeks ago. Uh, they uh, made about a million bucks. And by the way, uh, you know, 
people have asked me, hey, Jim, do you have an in on these cards? And no, <laughs> no, I don't break federal law. No, it's not a good idea to break federal law if you can avoid it, because prison sucks. No matter what, yeah. if you're right or wrong, prison still sucks, you know. So to bring this back into safety, well, uh, there's well, we some... were talking about the, the libertarian argument yeah. of the individuals largely ignored in that. It's these two right. legal fictions so, that are talking to each other. OK, so you're an employer and an, mm-hmm. an employee, right, uh, under a libertarian under a libertarian libertarian scenario, okay. what where would it uh, play out? You're an employer and an employee. You have a work relationship. What if the, you're at work and you get hurt? How would that well, play out? Before we get into the discussion, I want to make sure right. that the, that your listeners understand just what libertarian philosophy okay, is. Okay, good. Um, it's not anarchism. Right. Anarchism is a, is a point where there is no rulers. There is no, there's only people, there are no rules. Right. Um, libertarianism is the recognition that the state exists. Not that it should exist, but that it does exist. All right, there's a big difference right. there. Let me write that down. And the, and the goal of the libertarian project, if you wanna use that highfalutin academic sounding phrase, the libertarian project. And a lot of the core of the libertarian philosophy surrounds itself with exploring how individuals can be the most free, the most peaceful, and the most prosperous at any point in history, and and pursuing the least violent means to do so. We're one of the few philosophies that take into account the fact that there is inhuman interaction, there will always be disagreement. There is no utopia, there is no endpoint for the movement. There is only a pursuit of where we are and how we can make our lives more peaceful, more free, and less violent than they are right now. All right, there is place for government inside a libertarian philosophy, but we attempt to find the smallest possible place because we recognize that all governments have a monopoly of violence, and that's a very straight line, uncontroversial uh, uh, philosophical point of view. Government, one of the definitions of government is a monopoly of violence. A monopoly on enforcement is another way to say it. And we are trying to, in our philosophy and our politics, to find ways for society to need as little violence to have a peaceful and free society as possible. My right to exist and my right to act ends at the point where I'm imposing myself upon you unjustly unjustly like does that make sense yes right now i am uh so there's two competing safety philosophies out there right now right always has been but uh up until about the last 15 years or so we've been unable to articulate one side right and Part of what we do here on Safety FM and uh, on all our, we have 18 different programs right now, roughly. Last I checked, 18 different programs. We uh, promote one side, which is human and organizational performance. The more traditional safety, and right now I am, I'm going to pause this. Hold on. Take a pause. Yeah. Okay, great. 
So we had to take a little break there because I had something very relevant here that I should have had out immediately. That was well, not. Damn. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing it. I would right. but you, so, uh, you were you were asking about what a libertarian uh, safety right. program might look like. It would look like uh, contractual agreements between an employer and an employee. That's what right. it would look like. And a lot of what we do because. Uh, that's really in absence the the blanket ability to organize that you get under the the corporate charter system that exists in the United States on a state by state basis. Right. Absent that, it becomes a large structure and web of personal um, contracts between employers and employees. And because there's no, there may or may not be that you know that that legal fiction of the corporation. There people would be personally liable to their employees if they did something inappropriate if they put them if they put them at risk i mean that really is what it is it's the responsibility it's the unshielding of persons from the responsibility of people that they put at risk at when they are on the job site so the traditional view of safety right has always been command and control so you have basically a couple of different things going on right you have behavior-based safety and this is my view not so much the network's view, even though a lot of people on the network agree with me, where it's this adversarial system is eventually what happens. It's command and control, adversary. We have rules, we must obey the rules. There are five different things that I've identified uh, on this, and not from me, but this is from many different years of research here, uh, a lifetime by some people, right? So traditional safety is the workers blame for the safety issues. Mm -hmm. Right, not the company, the worker is an adversarial, right? The worker makes bad choices, right? We've all seen this. Safety is the absence of incidents, accidents, uh, occurrences, mishaps, and everything else. We that's more or less you go into a workplace and you've gone into you worked in uh, I worked uh, in theater for a long time, right? Really heinous locations and disgusting shops. Yes, absolutely. You were working as a set designer. I've been nearly crushed to death a few times. It's right. And you go in and you see on there, right, zero, we've had zero accidents, zero injuries, and zero illnesses in so many days, mm-hmm. something along those lines. And then you have a reliance on heroic acts and the individual. That means you're relying on a person at the company to run things. You're relying on a person to know everything, not the whole team, not everybody working as the, but you're relying on one person or a small group of individuals. This is along the lines of somebody calls out for the day and that's when you're going to have an incident and an accident. I've done two fatality investigations where that was the case, where the uh, uh, regular supervisors were out and the replacement guys came in and people ended up getting killed. That's exactly what happened on one of the uh, situations where I had a collapse on my person. There was a, I was we had built a, a platform to hold a very heavy item up and we were in the disassembly phase after the event. And I had observed them teching out, which is we pre-build to make sure everything works because right. everything's custom. I observed them teching out. I knew how it was supposed to be built. And so I knew that there was supposed to be a knee wall support underneath this platform that I was taking right. apart. What I wasn't aware of, and this was our like 58 of being awakened on the site. So you had fatigue management oh, issues. Yeah. We're talking multiple day fatigue at this point. Right. Um, 
So all the people that had built the thing in the first place had been tasked to go somewhere else on location and to deal with something else that needed to be done. And I and my team was tasked with taking this apart. No big deal. Let's take it apart. I was there was supposed to be holding one of the platforms up. I thought it was still in place. It appeared to be still. Hey, in you place. cut out for a second. Can you repeat that last five seconds? There was supposed to be a. All right. So there was supposed to be a knee wall support to hold up right. this platform. Yep. And I had seen it built. But what I wasn't aware of was that during install, there was a slight irregularity. So they decided, hey, we'll not put that support in. It's strong enough. Without it, it doesn't need it. Ah. So when I went in to take the last bolt out, I was expecting it to rest on a knee wall support that was no longer there. And this 800-pound platform rotated down and pinned was underneath it at the time. So landed on top of you. And it itself and the corner of a marble desk that was immobile and if not for the fact that i'm so damn thin i would have been pierced by the by the nails coming through and if it had gone another three inches i would have been um horribly injured if not killed wow it was held by just happenstance it didn't go any further got wedged wow you lucked out there yeah, that's one and of the then, reasons uh, I wound up leaving the industry. At that, at that point, I started to think about, well, how else can I spend my time? <laughs> right. And then you have the other one is the bad actors, number five, exist and need to be eliminated. So those are the five things with traditional safety. You can see it's adversarial. Now, if we move into what's called the new view or safety 2.0, mm -hmm. uh, right? It's based around risk, right? So you're... Well, human error is normal. Lame fixes nothing. So with the human error, you have different error modes. And you want to be working in what's called the skills-based mode, with the, which is uh, low attention to task and high familiarity with the task. Right? Lame fixes nothing. Learning is vital, right? meaning most managers don't know what goes on in the field. And are managers willing to learn what happens in the field? Context drives behavior. Uh, my wife and I were just talking about this uh, over dinner with uh, we're going to be hopefully uh, interviewing somebody who responded to the miracle on the Hudson uh, mm, plane crash that's in my family and where you have to look at the whole thing. Why, why do people do that? Where are the incentives? Where were the things go right? And how you respond to failures matters. So if you're going to go out and act like a jerk when there is failure that happens, guess what you're going to deal with the consequences on that yeah and what the idea is with the hop is that you're getting every your where you have osha regulations which require you to do x y and z there and i'm this is not a criticism of osha right I, i'm just stating as it is it's the minimum that you need to do in most circumstances not the maximum that you're going to do and you're going to be uh 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 now, going above and beyond what you need. What are the actual hazards? People actually doing the work, getting the person involved, right? In their own working environment, getting the person to work with management, having people work together to try to design the work area so it's safer. How uh, this sounds a little bit like libertarianism with me, where you're not going to be relying on a rule book. You're going to be going out and working as a community. You're going to be going out there working with each other what's going to be safe and everything else. But the thing is, who's assuming the risk? Financially, it's the company. Ultimately, it's the worker. Yeah. 
yeah, ultimately it's that well, that natural person we were talking about at the very beginning. Right. When the, when there's a an accident, a failure, when someone's injured, it's not a corporation. It's not a legal fiction that's hurt. It's a person that's hurt. And the fact that that those people are the ones that are that are not exactly held into loop of policymaking is a little should be a little concerning in all of this. Um, gosh, there, was something, you, there was something you said there that uh, keyed something in. This is going to sound strange coming from a libertarian, but what might be a good frame of reference for how libertarian safety protocols, how, how safety protocols would be enforced in a libertarian society would be in a ad hoc voluntary uh, voluntary uh, workers union, for lack of a better word. Imagine, imagine a guild of, of a certain skilled group of people. Maybe all the workers on the shop floor get together and just work together, uh, work come together and have their own agreement on how they're going to operate for safety kind of thing. They Even outside a regular organization or a formal organization, every group of people that work together have their own shorthand, have their own organizational structure, have their own hierarchy. It happens. Humans are naturally tribal, naturally societal. And we find our niche and our, and our place inside any group of people we're working with. And the concept of ostracization, the concept of shaming, the concept of, of I don't want to work with that guy because, or I don't want to work that, with that girl because they don't do things safely or that person drives a forklift too fast. I'm going to talk to them. That happens. That happens. So in a libertarian society, in a truly libertarian society, people having more responsibility, being exposed to more responsibility for their own well-being and their own existence and their own uh, uh, place in that society, by natural course of the fact that they are human, naturally will take on more responsibility inside that society it's the fact that we can sloth off so much of our own responsibility to another level oh that's not my problem that's management's problem or that's not my problem i did my job that guy over there that's his problem i don't need to worry about that when we're able to divest ourselves of the responsibility that's when things become a problem okay i don't think i could have said it any better uh, than that, on uh, that, uh, but you know, this is what we try to promote with Hop when managing people. Okay, it's like this. You know what my experience is for mm-hmm. the most part. I came up through the environmental consulting field, doing environmental cleanups, things of that nature. And in 2004, that's when I started to get involved in more uh, when I left corporate America. And was you have to go where the work is. What is the construction? more or less, uh, managing workplaces. I talk, told you about one of the current uh, projects I'm working on before the call, which is a uh, for a major software company uh, slash website that needs safety services. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Which uh, sounds strange, but then you got to remember there are human beings inside these facilities right. that need to be made, need to have their health and safety looked after. Right. So oh, I, when I heard the uh, job, I was like, wow. You know, but anyway, I'm, I won't go into that. But uh, so what, no, what, uh, so I go out and do an accident investigation on a, something that I've never done before. What do you need to do? You have to go out there and learn from the experts at doing that job. 
And normally those experts are going to be the people actually doing the job. Yeah. How do you do this job? What's involved in it? I want to learn how to do your job, that sort of thing, versus the, well, you're doing it wrong. Well, okay, I've never done that job. How can I tell you whether or not you're doing it wrong or not? Yeah. You know, so you're working with people more, or leadership within the organization, try to build leaders, try to set up the work areas so it's safe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have the least amount of errors that could happen that all that goes into that and i think management has to be able to support a system like that that's what uh, my clients are now trying to do is rather than the command and control how do we do this how do we know maybe if you're not following company policy or procedure maybe there's something wrong with the policy or procedure let's work it from that end Work as, uh, or what we call work as planned versus work as completed, right? <laughs> yeah, no, oh, totally plan, what's, that old, what's that old uh, phrase uh, from Eisenhower? Plans are useless, but planning is essential. Yes. And the other one, I don't know who said it was, you go to war with the plan from the last war, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and that's basically it. Uh, so uh, there are some organizations out there, I'm not going to mention which ones are got phone calls into them right now. Uh, well, actually emails, we don't call anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, on uh, more or less uh, the libertarian, they're libertarian, some very conservative organizations. We have some, by the way, I do contact the Democrats and everything. Nobody wants to come on here. So, and the Republicans, you're the first. Well, why not? They should be able, they should be so, they should be well-versed in their own philosophy unless they're so devoid of philosophical right. thinking that they can't actually speak about it in any educated way. So if you're a Republican or Democrat, you want to come on, contact me at jim at safetywords.com. So uh, and we'll get you on uh, yeah. about this. So uh, basically government has a role to play, right? Uh, but it, it has, has a role to play in, in our philosophy in that it's the easiest and simplest way to do a thing. It's right. not the best. It's the lazy man's out. The hard thing to do is to find a way for society to figure it out on its own, which can take, it's chaotic, it's maddening, it takes time. The right. easy thing to do is just, oh, we'll just pass a law and it'll all go away. Well, we have laws against murder and people still get killed. All right. And it's, and we also have this sense, in, in, especially in like environmental hazards. Let's talk about some of the chemicals that we've, that we've worked in. Um, it takes time for biology to be understood and the interactions of biology to the chemicals of processes that we're dealing with. RSI was not understood when it was first, when we were first starting to move into or, uh, towards the uh, computerized, uh, computerized uh, uh, industrial era. RSI. The exposures of, what, what, of fumes from lead were not understood. Right. RSI, define that. A repetitive stress injury. Okay. For That's example, I... Muscle up until injuries. up okay. until 2020, I was using a mouse and keyboard almost every single for multiple hours a day, every single day, and I was doing everything I possibly could to protect my right arm and hand. Right. And after 2020, when I switched industries, I haven't done the same level of mouse and computer keyboard work that I used to do as a draftsman and a designer. And it's taken until about a month ago for my arm to actually recover to the point where it no longer throbs on most days. Well, lead is one of those things there's, uh, no, uh, 
what's amazing is I have this book, Poison in the Pot. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and they, uh, somebody republished it. The book was going for about $35,000 on uh, eBay for whatever reason. And uh, Amazon, which I said, man, my book, I wish my book was going for that much. But anyway, they, uh, the hazards of lead were known for thousands of years, just that they were ignored. And they were pretty much unregulated in this country uh, until the mid-1970s. Well, then you, you have to talk about also in the same breath, what's worth it? What's worth it? So there was an interview I heard a couple of years ago now where some, this was at around the time when people were realizing that estrogen and estrogen related chemicals were leaching out of vinyls. Right. And it was especially, it was, a, it was, that was, this is when no BPE stuff was coming out and that kind of from the water bottles and whatever. And the interviewer was talking about how we just started using these vinyl bags to hold blood, donated blood. And we never tested to see what was leaching out into the blood. We never did that study. We never, and it was a big controversy in this interviewee's mind that we never took that step of figuring out what was, what, what the consequences of using vinyl to hold blood was. Well, here's the thing with that. You have to imagine everything in balance to what the advantage of to the person doing it in the time is to what their other options were. You can't judge something from an on high, I know the absolute proper thing. In the, in the example, of, discuss, in the example of vinyl blood bags, like right. the option was glass. That was the only other option. So we can either use autoclaved glass that's fragile breaking and expensive and difficult to manage to hold donated blood. Right or it can use vinyl bags that you can literally throw on the floor and stomp on and it won't damage that precious fluid and you will save thousands more lives because you've made blood donation easier. And a few years later, we find that BPE is leaching out. Okay, great, so we fixed that problem. But you don't just look at an innovation or a new way of doing things solely on one aspect of safety or one aspect of environmental. There is an entire world of human existence that is surrounding that. Coal miners knew going into the ground was, was a hazardous. Coal miners knew that there was natural gas, that the, that the black lung was the thing that was happening, that they were guaranteed to have short and brutal lives. But compared to their other options, compared to their other options, you cannot take agency away from people. If you take agency away from people, you remove their ability to have any sort of sense of themselves and any ability to actually improve their lives in meaningful ways. If we okay. removed anything that wasn't safe from society, we would no longer be able to act because the simple act of walking downstairs is dangerous. So many servants in Victorian era died on staircases. It was staggering and led to our modern design of staircases. We no longer have staircases of a certain pitch because it was literally killing people but it took time for us to realize that that was what was happening and it was worthwhile to actually change the stairs. Like we, it takes society time. It's very easy and fast to pass the law and then enforce it, but it ignores the fact that it takes society time to change. And so, okay, you're, this is my experience at least. Company will have a catastrophic situation. It can be a fatality, catastrophic loss 
could be environmental. It could be health and safety. Mm-hmm. Could uh, be any know, number of things. Learning, any number of things. It normally takes, like you said, time. It takes three to five years to change a uh, change a company, the way that they do business. And, and that's with something that's course, happened catastrophically. Catastrophically. A worker, I tell you what, for workers, I'm still... I had to hear it a couple of weeks, uh, about a month ago. I did an accident investigation. We covered it here on the uh, podcast that was all confidential and everything as far as I didn't you know, mention names. But the argument I heard against wearing safety toe shoes, right? Stuff oh, they'll cut I, off your toes if you get hit hard enough. That's, yes. the, that's the old saw I hear. That's the old, yeah, and it's always the same story. Always the same story. I have an uncle, grandfather, great-grandfather at this point, guy down the street, uh, his relative distant. They were working. It's usually either a shipyard or a logging industry or some other industry where there are huge amounts of weight. All right. And huge amounts of weight are usually like 20, 30, 40,000 pounds. Mm-hmm. They're dropped from six stories on a crane, from a crane. Mm-hmm. Or, or, you know, a skid row out there in logging industry and uh, it hit their foot. If it weren't for that steel toe, they'd still have their toes. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. It's right? not the 20 ton piece of lumber that took that. It's the piece yeah. of steel toe that did it. Right. And remember, they're only rated for so much. They're rated for so many jewels. So it's, you know, it is what, you know. <laughs> It is what it is. And you're still hearing this. And you have that. How long they've been rating for rated steel toes? Probably around 55, 60 years, somewhere in that mm-hmm. range. And you still hear this. So it takes a long time. Same thing with the uh, COVID, with the precautions for COVID, whether you agree with the mask or not, or other procedures or not. You know, you're, uh, no, you, it takes a long time. The other thing we is, had a is conversation in the very begin, yeah. beginning about like the, the 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 appropriateness of masks and coming down to the size of the particulates, right? Because certain masks have different uh, filtering sizes; they're able to take care of certain particulates, and all of it is useless be- for me because I got this here beard on. Right. And if I'm wearing a beard, you got a very I'm- good beard, by the way. Your listeners can't see that. Dan's got Dan's got a face. Not for, for radio. radio. I have a case for radio. <laughs> He's good. He could be on TV. But yeah, it's we can have the ninety, the P, uh, N95 or N98 and have that on. But if you are a man and you have facial hair, that rating goes right out the window. The, with, the, the, with the COVID-19 protocols, the I'll speak specifically about the Libertarian Party at this point as opposed right. to philosophy. The, the position of the Libertarian Party throughout and, and we are very fractured as a party because each state is a separate affiliate and has its own way of doing things. The National Party has very little control over its state affiliates. And we like it that way. We right. like fractured power. That's a thing with us. We like fractured power. Um, we like societal solutions as opposed to governed solutions. Um, large, uh, largest speaking, the Libertarian Party's position has been, we have a environmental hazard. This is the disease. We should find out what we possibly can scientifically to reduce harm and spread and then educate people and convince people to go along with those best practices. And as those best practices change, we should 
make sure we continuously educate people so that we are always working with the best information. We saw from our governments that they get a single idea of how they want to do things. And they spend so long berating everybody that does not go along with them, whether they're right or wrong, that it becomes morally necessity, moral necessity right. to abide by that first idea, whether so, it's and, right or wrong. Well, we have a different way of handling that with hop, right? And yeah. it's very congruent to what you're doing here. Parallels it, all right, what you just said. We believe safety is misdesigned, misdefined, uh, all right? Zero accidents, zero illnesses, and everything else has been uh, the philosophy of safety going on, traditional philosophy. It's, so a, it's, a, it's a wonderful goal. <laughs> wonderful goal. DOT just came out with that goal just now uh, in the infrastructure bill that was just signed. And it's uh, we did a program on that. That's, you know, but... <laughs> Anyway, what, so uh, rather than zero, we're going to, uh, because then if you fail at getting zero, you have an unsafe work, working environment. Yeah, it's a very binary We're, we're going to add, we're gonna, what's, what is it? Safety is not the absence of error of instance, but presence of some type of safeguard. I hate to use the word control, but because that's negative, uh, but a safeguard of some it's sort. It's an appropriate English word. Just right. Yeah. So, for example, you have with the COVID, you have a lot of different safeguards thrown in there. Whether or not you agree with vaccinations, but you have the vaccinations. You have the, uh, and we only recommend here, NIOSH rated uh, uh, filtering face use respirators or other things appropriate. We don't recommend face coverings like the government was doing. Uh, we recommend the actual stuff, right? Uh, there's social distancing. You have now the test kits you have that are widely available. We're getting uh, four every two weeks for our children mm -hmm. uh, through the school district. Uh, we are now there are uh, uh, now we have our medical system um, with people, right? Treatments and all that other stuff and everything else. And you add more and more controls to your situation, you're less likely of having COVID. Yeah. And you could, and uh, the thing with that type of approach is you can eliminate any one of those things, and it's not a, you're not going to have a catastrophic loss. You're avoiding a, a, a single point of failure in your system. Exactly. I mean, but speaking of single point of failure, I would be remiss if I, you know, you know, we're talking about policy and safety. I would be remiss if I did not tut tut at the FDA for its early response to COVID, because in the early 2020, late nine, 2019, um, we were starting to understand what the heck this SARS-like disease that was existing in right. Wuhan was. We were puzzled as to what it was coming out. And the general public knew it was coming because we, you know, the world is a global entity at this point. If, 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 you, get, if you have a coffin in Tanzania, you're getting, someone else is getting sick in Uganda. You know, it's, it's, there's, there's very little to stop a disease from spreading in a globalized society. And while our former president was, was uh, talking about how it's not here yet, it's not here yet, the general public was aware, very aware that it was coming, that it was coming. Now, the FDA at the time had very strict controls, and I'm pretty sure these controls are still in place. I don't know if they've uh, changed them yet. They should. Right. On approving medical tests for general, for clinical use. Right. So there were, there were uh, uh, lab, vir virology labs, 
and uh, genetic sequencing labs that were getting right. copies of the DNA that had been sequenced in China and elsewhere and figuring out and creating the first prototype tests to run. And they were actually in the, in the very beginning, they were accepting samples from hospitals to test to see if this person was experiencing COVID and the FDA was stopping them from using it for clinical use. They were being restricted to experimental use only. You can't use this for clinical, even though it worked, even though it worked. And we're talking about months here and they actually prevented developed and certified to work tests from being used in the United States until they went through a very Byzantine elaborate process, including mailing by US Postal Service, physical mailing of a CD-ROM to a specific address so that it could be reviewed and processed through the FDA's infrastructure. So these very same tests that were being denied use by the general American public because of the FDA's regulations right. that were in place, put in place with the very best of intentions, I'm sure. These, these tests were being sold to Japan and Korea. Wow. And they were being used by the general public of Japan and Korea. And because they had the tests that were developed in America and with American partners that we were not permitted to use for our testing in the first couple of months of the COVID, Japan and Korea had some of the best outcomes of prevention of the initial spread because they had the testing. And we were by law being prevented from doing it. It's not that laws are bad. It's that law is unthinking. It doesn't have a human element. It is a concept. It is a truth that must be obeyed. Human experience is not unthinking and changing written in stone. Human experience is different. It is important to have rule of law. It is vital that we have rule of law in Republic, but we must always have the rule of law tempered by justice. Justice is different from rule of law. They're friends. The colleagues, their cousins. Yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to go and cut that, and that's going to be the problem. For <laughs> I don't know how else to say that uh, better, and I think we should just say that. And uh, back back to the pandemic, where uh, we we were talking about this back in the mid 2000s. This was coming. I worked on so many different projects, and the amount of research I did back in those days when I. Uh, published my first book, which is, I'm not, it's unavailable now on nuclear terrorism. We knew this was all- I actually read that. I proofread that for you. That was you fun. did. And in uh, 2010, right, uh, Congress stopped with the pandemic preparedness stuff. It wasn't funded anymore. And that was after we told them and we, and there were certain politicians in New Jersey that knew this, that are still in office today that are acting like, and they're in leadership positions, all right? Enough I'm shocked, I'm shocked I'm to shocked. find gambling in this establishment, Jim. Yes, I know. Uh, well, what's funny is uh, I recently met uh, somebody from Casablanca, and that's our inside joke. I said, is there gambling in Casablanca? She says, yes, there is. They got all different kinds of Casablanca. So anyway, I digress. Uh, so Dan, Someone wants to talk to you, look and find out more about libertarian philosophy, wants to contact Dan Krauss. We're speaking to Dan Krauss, who's the state chair of the Libertarian Party of New Jersey. How do they go about finding out more about what you're saying and everything else? 
Right, well, you can. I am a elected official of the state of the state party, so I'm going to put that information out there. You can find the Libertarian Party of New Jersey at njlp.org. You can always reach. You can always reach the currently serving chair of the party, which I am currently, um, at at chair at njlp.org. Can you spell um, that, please? C H A I R at njlp.org. And you can always and you can find out more information about the Libertarian Party in general by going to lp.org. Now the philosophy is trying to nail down a philosophy is like trying to nail water to a wall. So go ahead and start reading. Uh, libertarianism.org is a good place to start. But if you want to read uh, a little uh, little Locke, little uh, Adam Smith, little uh, you know a little bit little uh, a lot of economics, a lot of philosophy, a lot of legal. It's a broad ranging philosophy and it is separate, but also coterminous with the party. The party is trying to bring the philosophy to life. The philosophy itself is always developing. Dan, thank you for joining us here on Safety Wars and uh, we'll have this up in the next uh, week or so. Thank you very much, Jim. It was a pleasure. Take care. Well, that was a very interesting conversation there. It turns out that we have more in common than we don't. Something to think about, especially when we are dealing with people and dealing with the tumultuous times we're dealing with in our country. For Safety Wars, this is Jim Holzel. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.